Now look here, I'm Alan. I'm Catherine. And we've got something to tell you. Hello and welcome to our for the fourth episode of the Now Look Here podcast. Uh, it's taken us a while to get this recording done, we've, we, but uh, we should at least uh, thingy thing. I need to wake up properly. <laughs> Oh dear, okay. Um, Do you want me to introduce it? Um, yeah, give it a shot. Hello and welcome to our fourth podcast of Now Look Here. Um, yeah, it's taken us a while to get it out this week, but we are here and we've got things to tell you. It's been pretty crazy. I mean, we were supposed to record, we normally record quite a few days before we actually publish this thing and the whole family came down with food poisoning. Oh, so, it's been hectic. Yeah, it, it was just rubbish. We decided to put it off for a day or two and then... Then we had bad weather. You know, we've got to wait until the kids are asleep, which means we record at a, usually around about midnight. Um, and we've just had thunderstorms. In yeah, the night. and we don't have a studio. Studio, there's no soundproofing here, uh, which meant that we could we, we could hear nothing. Yeah, then there were some horrible t- problems at work and disasters, and basically we just haven't been sleeping. So, yeah, we said now. I think oh, jeepers, it's top past two in the morning. Now we, we we've woken up to record. <laughs> So, I, I just hope you guys appreciate this. I, yeah, I think just, I think I think we deserve an extra star on our rating this week because definitely, definitely, we're doing this for you. You know, we're not getting <laughs> out of this. Yeah. yeah. So, you guys, our, our listeners, our audience, uh, both of you, please, 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 please. You know, if each one of you tells a friend uh, and gets him to listen to us, we could have four listeners by the end of the week. Yes, apart from our parents, I think. Yeah. Anyway, um. So the topic we came up with, which you've had sitting waiting, I mean, blown the dust off my off, off my my notes here, uh, was going to be about taking the leap. Um, the idea was that it was something that I think we realised quite some time ago, a number of years ago, back around about 2008 or 2009, I think it was. Um, you know, I've been wanting independence for a while, and I think to like my parents' generation, this sounds very whiny, and to the current generation, it just sounds hopelessly optimistic and naive. And I think they're both right, actually. But but you've got to clarify independence, I think. Uh, what I mean is, it's independence is in freedom from this the indignity man. of formal employment. Yes. You know this idea that uh, you just you just always under somebody's thumb, you know. Whether, you know, when, when you're a kid, it's your parents and it's your school teachers and it's random adults that you meet at friends' houses and in the streets and the shopping mall. Everyone is in charge of you. And then you become a teenager and you become really aware of it and it chafes and you hate it and you, so you become an obnoxious teenager. And then as an adult, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of get this taste of freedom when, you, when, 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 slash if, you go to university or any kind of secondary school or well, tertiary school. Oh, and definitely your first job, or and second, because you've got to start at the bottom. So well, that's, that's everybody the thing. bosses you around, and you sort of enter the real world, this oh. wonderful <laughs> mecca that you've been promised your whole life, and you you have a boss, and it turns out to be hard and not all that yeah. fun. And it's and, and yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not being naive here and saying that and, and preaching some kind of you know um, pure anarchy where you know every man his own master and every woman is her is. His own master. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, we, we're tired. It's late. <laughs> but well, I kind of am preaching that. Yeah, I mean, because what I want is to is to work for myself. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur or something. And I don't think it's a weird thing to want, and I don't think it's an impossible thing to do. Although we've tried a few different ways of doing this. Because it, you know, you hear people talking about those motivational speakers or a guy selling a book, and it's always this. Um, Although they always, they can always only talk about how they did it, or in the case of motivational speakers, how they want to do it, <laughs> because motivational speakers don't tell you, go to Toastmasters, learn how to talk with a microphone in your hand, and tell people how to do something that you haven't done. <laughs> Which I mean, I think this the world needs motivational speakers. I do have a soft spot for a good motivational speech. I I, I, I got to admit, it's uh, it's handy. I don't have a lot of respect for the guys doing it. I mean, <laughs> but. but you know, getting to the whole subject of freedom, I've been freelancing for three years now. So technically, I'm, you know, yeah, supposed to be independent. Yeah. Um, but I'm still subject so you, to... You found a new boss. This is your bank manager. That's the thing. <laughs> and um, also deadlines and editors that I now have to kind of um, 
get back to it's it's not as the it's it's not the brilliant free environment that I imagined. And I also think that if I had to jettison all that and write the book, I think I'd end up in a situation where I'd be my own uh, man. And it would be <laughs> and, and I think I'd in in order for it to work, I'd have to be very hard on myself. Mm. So I, I don't know. I understand what you're saying when you get, when you say independence, but I'm not entirely sure if it, that if you're going to do something um, really worthwhile, that you're ever going to get away with not having that uh, boss, whether it's you or your business partner or mm. whatever. You know. The thing is that I think you are probably about as successful at this as as most freelancers, because I mean, what you do with your freelancing is you're a writer. You you you, you I mean. If you stand back and catalog the stuff that you've been doing over the last few years, um, you've been doing work for advertising agencies, yes. you know, coming up with copy and slogans and marketing and pretty much all the creative aspects of an advertising campaign. Yeah. Not, not, not used all in one shot. There, because as a freelancer, you're not there from the beginning to the end. But they'll bring you in and say, well, we need the slogan. We need product names. We need scripts for radio, uh, for, for radio shows or adverts. Yeah. Um, you do all of it. And you're doing it on a purely freelance basis. And if I'm honest i've always rather admired that and i've wanted to emulate that for a long time thank you and i think the reason i haven't gone that way is for all its, for all its crappiness um this permanent job of mine pays a salary uh, <laughs> and that's a wonderful safety net which i just don't have the guts to give up especially since you know we have a family and and, and it comes with a good medical aid and all that yeah so just got to take that into account i mean i look at what you're doing um i see rubbish pay uh, I don't see a lot of respect from your customers. I mean, they they have no problem, no problem calling you at half past five in the afternoon, as they are packing up and ending their own little overtime session, uh, and asking for something for the next morning. Yeah, they say, well, we need uh, we need two thousand words extolling the virtue of pull up uh, nappies. Yeah, yeah, or, or or some obscure thing that that you weren't even aware was a thing, like um, of 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 our all new electronic system for air traffic control navigation. It's true. And it's you've got to true. pump this out, and they want it by eight o'clock the next morning. And you know you're a freelancer. You know you don't have any of the problems that we have. You can dash this out. It's not a problem. You can. <laughs> uh, what do you need to sleep for? It's not like you have a life. It's, uh, it's like that, that's, uh, it's horrible. And, uh, and 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 it's like you sort of more. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't want to disparage you. Having told you how much I admire you, I don't want to start disparaging you and knock you down and say, oh, your job sucks and, <laughs> no. and, and, and you're a fool for doing it. No, there are benefits. There really are benefits. Mm. I mean, um, with with our kids, I'm able to uh, drive out and drop them off at daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not at the crack of dawn. Um, okay, I mean, you're, you're setting your own hours on paper. Um, exactly. Uh, well, look, it doesn't mean if I want to make a certain amount of money, I've got to work a certain amount of hours in a week. Mm. And if that doesn't happen in the working day, then that's got to be shoehorned in in the evenings or on weekends or something. The problem which is, is I hard don't, with children. I don't see how you can make a living while maintaining a certain lifestyle. And when I say a certain lifestyle, I don't, I'm not talking about keeping up the gym membership and and uh, <laughs> and making sure that the BMW is is properly cleaned every week. I mean, just this is our lifestyle. <laughs> you, know? Well, you know, I think that if I look at the other freelancers that I know, they yeah. are sitting and working. They are sitting in front of their computers from 8 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. And then most of the time they're working at least four nights a week and mm. at quite a few hours on weekends. Yeah. And that's how they're bringing in a decent salary. Because if you're that available and that um, prodigious, then you get a lot of work in. And the only reason I'm not able to do that is um, because kids need to be fetched from school or mm. one of them is sick and they're home all day. And that's just one of the things. I mean, the fact that I'm able to earn a salary at all while being available for our children, I think, is one of the upsides. It's one of the things that re- that you've romanticized about freelancing. Mm. Well, at least I'm saying freelancing. I, th- I think going independent. Yeah. Um, but th- well, yeah. I'm specifically talking about the freelance model where this is the thing. Your yeah. your hours are very definitely commiserate with your salary. The longer hours you're willing to put in, the more money you will make. Mm. Um, and it's about a balance. You know, it took us a while to realize that we had to send the kids to daycare if we wanted any amount of work done, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, us as a family, we realized. So now we've got the tots going to, to daycare. And I know at least I've got four or five free hours in the mornings that are set aside mm-hmm. for work specifically. So it's it's kind of worked out, I think. Um, obviously, as they get older, I'll have more time and I'll be able to build up and uh, have 
also more permanent clients. Mm. Uh, it, whenever you start off, you you get treated fairly badly because well, they so don't have to nobody, you have no reputation. You. Exactly. Mm. So you get the really crappy work, and they manage to negotiate some like quite badly hourly pay. And having done it for three years now, I'm at a point now where I can ask for a decent hourly wage, and I'm starting to uh, sort of have my regular customers and so on. Mm. So, but it, that's taken three years. The, the first year was horrible. It was yeah. just a financial <laughs> nightmare. The thing is, I don't know. I mean, I know that you think the same way as me. You're doing this because you do not do well in an office. No, I don't. You, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I, at the risk of of, of um, at the risk of of offending you and maybe seeming to tear you down in a recording. I don't think you've ever worked in a day job as long as as long as as, as long as we've known each other, where you haven't come home every day complaining about something, and you don't do that anymore now that you don't have the boss and the office politics and the the arbitrary regulations to deal with. I think it's not it wasn't individual jobs that were a problem for you; it was the concept of being beholden to somebody every single day. Ah, uh, you know, I think a lot of people moan about their day jobs. I think some people get into the habit of it just being what they do. Mm. When they talk about office jobs, but I suspect some people just acclimatise to it better. Yeah, uh, ugh, I'm I'm not terribly. Uh, the thing is, I, I do well in the corporate environments, and obviously, mm. uh, you know, when I, I work for agencies, I've got to go into the office and and sit there. Mm. The, the difference, I think, when you're a freelancer is that you don't have to. This isn't your life now. You don't have to put up with all of this crap mm. uh, forever. You're coming in for a specific job, and you do it, and then you leave, and yeah. it gives you that freedom to not have to get involved with the whole thing. Mm. Um, and I, I noticed that when you were temping, because there was quite a period, uh, I think early on in the building of our family, when we, uh, this would have been, I think, after the birth of our first kid. Yes. For a few years, you worked as a as temporary staff at a number of places. I mean, I loved that, weirdly enough. Yeah, yeah that was it. You, you were very happy. But I noticed that as, as the contracts would extend to a few months, you'd become unhappy again. That's the thing. Ugh, I... I had to accept it at one stage that the corporate thing wasn't really my thing. Um, I think it comes down to it, it gets boring. You have this specific job spec that's the same every day. And it's not that you don't do your job well. It just gets it gets boring. Mm. And I wouldn't say I have a problem with authority, but after a while, especially if your boss is not this wonderful, perfect mm. human being, if they're flawed even slightly and they give even slightly um, ambiguous instructions or anything, a business starts re to resent them, you know. Mm. Whereas when you're your own boss, you can't really resent yourself. Hmm. Oh, I suppose you can, but... <laughs> I can. <laughs> no, I think, I think a lot of people listening, or certainly a lot of people, if you try and talk to them about it, have an attitude of... Well, I suppose it's just a sort of stoic realism. This idea that, well, you know, we're we, we, we all having a hard time. We're all going through this. And I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking, well, bully for you that you sucked it up and lived through it. That is good. <laughs> and it is admirable. You are doing what you must do to pay your bills and feed your family. But why do you have to pretend to be happy about it? What is so wrong with trying to find a better way? That's the thing. And I really believe that's the, w that's the way the world is going. And I'm, and I'm trying. I mean, I've actually got a whole... Um, a whole list of things that I've tried, and many of them I, I never stopped trying. So, which is probably why I don't sleep anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, the freelancing thing—that's the one thing which is not an option for me because, as hard as you work and as much as you earn, it doesn't cover. If I was to do the same thing, especially yeah, starting off from the beginning, as big a salary. Yeah, oh, we, heck no. You've got to build your way up. Yeah, we, we'd have to sell off some of the kids until we could <laughs> afford to do it again. Um, and not because the kids themselves are expensive, but the infrastructure. <laughs> you know that. The size of a house that houses that, that they can fit that many people. The the fact that we need two cars because uh, you know the the bigger fridge, the bigger washing machine, all that stuff that you have to have to cater for seven people. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm wondering off, off topic now. The point is, freelancing is something that one of us can do at a time, but not both of us. And there are other things. I mean, the more classic things, something that's this is the sort of thing that you'll feel that's your you'll hear the motivational speakers talk more about, or at least there's more books available on the shelves of of, of the shops where you buy books. Um, is simply starting your own business. You know, it's I mean you 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 could go all out and retire and cash your your pension fund early to get some capital and start a business. And the easy way to do that is to well 
easy in in the you know the the the, the, the finger quotes that you cannot see because we don't have a this is not a video recording. <laughs> uh, although that might come one day maybe. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the, the 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 finger quotes easy option is to is to sign up for a franchise, um, which means you're either getting a cheap one which isn't going to make you any money or might not work, or you're getting an expensive one, like an established restaurant chain or something, where they come and they help your hand and they give you all the equipment and they give you the training manuals and oh even yeah, the, then, the whole recipe for the business. Which, yeah, and which is still not guaranteed. I mean, there's a chain in this country called uh, Dross, D R O S, and the whole thing is is it's it's themed on being a wine cellar. Yes. So the decor is lots of dark wood, big leather benches. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, it, it, no, now, they, they have nowadays walls. it's only tenuously attached to that theme now. So oh, I was going to say that. I mean, the, the decor it's, it's all wine barrels and and there's always a wall somewhere that's made just with the bottom ends of wine bottles all stacked up neatly. It's, it's I mean, it, it, it's an attractive uh, kind of look. But because it was started in the age of the sports bar, uh, everyone also has about three or four big screen TVs with a rugby game streaming twenty four seven. Yes. And it tends to be, uh, it has a prominent bar counter where this wine themed place has got loads and loads of Afrikaans men and women drinking beer. <laughs> uh, or, or, yeah, or Smirnoff spins or what have you. Yes. Colorful, fizzy, sugary drinks, yeah. The thing is, it's actually a good recipe for, for South Africa because, well, it's boozy and it's big hearty meals. It's, it's the classic sort of, Go-to South African uh, recipe, um, which is lots of meat, lots of red meat, you know, steaks and ribs and chops and things, um, with a little bit of seafood on the side, a little bit of poultry, and lots of pasta. Yeah, um, lots of starches, I think, lots of potato-based. Yeah, but it's it's heavy on the pasta nice. because pasta is easy to prepare. So there's pasta dishes, there's pizzas. Um, yeah, the yeah. esoteric <laughs> fusiony. Yeah, and the closest one to our place, um, despite this perfect recipe, this fantastic success, the one closest to us um, closed down um, unexpectedly, as in the staff arrived for work uh, one morning to find that nobody had unlocked the doors. And that was that. It was closed. That's, you know... I I think it's a furniture shop now. It is. It is a Mm. furniture shop. You know, um, I think that it also comes down to, obviously, how you manage a place and how you run it. Mm. Because... If you're not on it, if you're not running it with an iron fist, your staff will steal you blind. And even if they don't, you will lose money in various areas because you're not paying attention to how much you're paying for stock Mm. and all that. I mean, it's all good and well to get a recipe for how to run your business. But the thing is, the recipe itself isn't really the thing. Anybody can look at a recipe for a cake and chuck it all together and put it in the oven. But... It's not necessarily going to be as good as the experienced guy's cake. Um, There is a chemistry. There's a definite um, combination of factors that make these things work. But I think without a doubt, Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely the involvement of the the person who's got the most at stake. The owner or the – yeah, well, the owner. Um, The more you put into it – you know, I look at these businesses that do well. There's that uh, Green Castle – petrol station that we've got up the road here mm. and it's got the little petrol station shop and it's this kind of small independent it's not part of any major big chain and um the guy goes to a lot of effort to make it a pleasant place to stop you know he's got this little oven with pies in it and a little coffee machine and i stopped there for the coffee i've i don't even want to know how much money i've thrown at that place because of their coffee and yeah. it's not even I mean, it's not bad coffee, but it's definitely not. Well, it's a Nescafe machine. So, <laughs> exactly. I think if you know about coffee and you do, then it's not a great cup. I think you're enjoying it because it's there. Yes, exactly. It's available, and yeah. very often I need a, a little wake up, and mm. it's and I need to put in petrol anyway. So, but what's interesting is this guy is there all day. He's there from morning to night. Well, that's and it. I mean, he's a twenty-four-seven. He's an involved. Well, not twenty-four-seven, but I mean, yeah, he's always there. He's highly involved. And and he has no competition. That's it. Yeah, and he's in a good location. He's on a main route linking two towns. Um, there's one other, uh, one, one, yeah. There's one, there's one other filling station, which is a few kilometres down the road, which is incredibly run down. Uh, well, they're as in busy potholes in the forecourt. Yeah, they they, they, they rebuild. Well, they bulldozing it and building a new one. Um, but I mean, as it stands, I mean, they've got potholes in the forecourts. Um, their whole little, um, well, the, the shop. I don't think there was even a shop ever, but no, I would never. Oh, there was. You can still see the signs. They had a doctor's office there. It used to be 
Well, at least they were grandiose plans because this is all long before oh, we came in. Yeah, no, that would obviously have been. In what the you've past. got is broken windows and empty shelves of rooms. There is a bottle store, but I suspect it's an unlicensed one because their their signage is very discreet. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and if you drive past, you I think you need a four by four just to get in there without scraping the bottom of your car. So, they make a fair bit of money from. But I think anybody who's remotely concerned uh, about their safety or about what's going to happen to their car or they go to to the the green one yeah they go to the green one um but the thing is the problem with starting a small business is that the amount of the the enormous investment you've got to make in time and in money um and you're probably not going to get that back because i was actually just googling while you were talking um because i do my homework before i start (laughs) recording (laughs) (laughs) um i I want to see uh it says apparently 67 percent uh, two-thirds of all small businesses started in South Africa will fail within the first two years. That's just what the records show. But do, do they and it speculate me, why? I'm sure they do. I didn't open any of the articles and read. But Some the thing is, that number surprised me because that's, that is – I mean, I, I've seen figures like this before, and I was expecting a much, much higher failure rate. You tend to hear things like 90%, 95% businesses fail in the first few years. But why? I want to know why. Is it because they're not as involved um, no, I think it's trusting other people to run their business for them. I think it's because starting a business is incredibly hard and it's just simply incredibly risky. And one of the one of those little sentiments you don't hear often, but I've but you hear it. I've heard it a number of times over the years from different places, and it was. I think the reason it's such a popular one is because it's not something that a small that a starting business wants to hear. But it said that the number one talent or personality trait that a small business owner needs is a remarkable ability to fool themselves, to be incredibly self-delusional <laughs> and un- unreasonably, unrealistically optimistic. Opti- exactly, optimistic. And maybe even a little bit self- self-absorbed. self Oh, yeah, narcissistic. They've got to believe that they are not like the, the other, other people who failed. All those other companies, they are special and they are going to be lucky. But, I mean, if... And they have to because otherwise it wouldn't start. It wouldn't make any sense at all. It would be so stupid to, to pour your time money into this. And, of course, if you are one of the few who succeed, then fantastic. And you can look back and you can say, well, I was right. I did the right things, and then you get these people, and then you get these uh, these guys who really made it big—the one in a millions, you know, the Richard Bransons and the Elon Musk's, yeah, you know, so. Steve Jobs's, and so on—and they sit there and they write their books about how about what they did right, and you 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 you've got to wonder what of all these wonderful things that they're patting themselves on the back that they did. How many of those things did the failures also do? But here's a, the because thing you is, don't know this. But wait, you often read people who fail at businesses aren't writing best no, that's, books and it's about a pity because we could <laughs> probably learn more from the failures. Yeah. You know what not not what not to do. Mm. Um, but the people who make it often talk about how many times they failed, mm. and the people who failed obviously didn't try enough times because they didn't succeed. Well, I suspect they ran out of money. Because That's possible. I think most small businesses are starting out. Actually, you know what? You were asking why, and as I remember something I've heard on the radio in the, in the business section uh, on my usual radio station. And there was a feature on this a while ago. Well, not a feature. This is something that comes up repeatedly, and sometimes it gets debunked, and sometimes it gets confirmed, depending on who they're interviewing. Yeah. The idea was the main, the main problems, the two main problems for companies, small to micro companies in this country, are red tape because we have in incredible amounts of regulations um, at the state level, and capital. They simply don't have enough money when they start. This is, you know, the difficult thing is, obviously, uh, a bank or an investor will be loath to give a startup a lot of money. Well, That's the first issue. Yeah. And I think the second issue is, when you talk about red tape, I think it's specifically like labor law. Um, Labor law, tax law. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, they, they, they were giving numbers like and I don't remember the exact numbers, so please don't crucify me in the comments over this. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a, a, the gist of it. It was something on the lines of a, a, com- a, a company with like 100 staff is spending something like 250 man hours a week on the admin. Simply, simply, well, compliance they call it. Yes. All the stuff, all the paperwork, and all the registration and the documents comes that's attached with that. The doing. law requires you to do simply to not go to jail for having a business. That's the thing. That means, I mean, how many people is that? Four or five HR people. Yeah, full-time staff. Employ. Doing nothing but keeping the man off your back. There's that word again. Very. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the man is the best way to put it. Mm. Uh, you know, I suppose it depends on the type of business you, you have. Because, for example, my overheads aren't too high uh, as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. I have my skills or my talents. I mean, I'm the product. Mm. And then 
there's basically my internet connection, my laptop, which, to be fair, does need to be replaced soon. Mm. And um, then whatever petrol I use in my car, the driving to meetings and coming back, which isn't too often. Well, the problem with, with what you're saying is that as a freelancer, you work from home means your, your work life and your family life are, and your personal life are intertwined. That's They're true. They're all the same thing. So and that is actually a problem. So you need to include your rent because your rent is also where it, okay, it's your office. Enough. You need to include your food. You need to – because, I mean, a real business paying somebody a staff, they're also covering all those expenses. It's called it's called a salary. Yeah. So you need to cover your salary, which is just – you know, it's it's all that money you spend putting petrol in my tank when my salary has run out. Yeah. And now you're covering the rest of it for the rest of the month. It's it's the school fees you're t- that, that, uh, that you're paying. It's the groceries that you're buying. And because there is no company, there's you. Those are your, your expenses. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But no, well, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, so obviously I don't need, so what I'm trying to say is, obviously I don't need a major capital outlay, but it also means that I'm completely limited um, in how much I can make because I've only got so many hours, available hours mm. in the day. And yeah, I have to sleep at some point. Yeah. Um, whereas if I had to decide to start an agency, I could employ lots of me's. Yeah. And it, but once again, that would require that capital outlay. I actually think that's a sensible way to do it. And and is, is a, a friend of ours has, has recently done this. Started doing that, yeah. Yeah, because she's got the benefits of well, the in in terms of infrastructure and um, you know capital outlay, she's got all the benefits of a freelancer, which is she's working from home. She doesn't need a lot of fancy equipment. So I think she bought a computer. Yeah. Um, and and she has a phone and and well, no, I mean, there and are that's it. there are different. Um, well, she's gotten quite smart with her and quite savvy, mm. tech savvy with the whole correspondence work thing. Like, yeah, for example, uh, she I mean uses her tablet for proofreading and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, well, well I mean, as an agency, what she's doing is connecting – What she, uh, as an agency, what she's doing is connecting people to, to their work. She's not uh, – she doesn't need to do the work herself. Yeah. So, and traditionally, an agency is a building somewhere with, a, with, with staff and there's big telephone builds and there's air conditioning builds and there's – there's your rates and levies you've got to pay to your and, and there's your rent and there's all that nonsense and she skips all that because at the end of the day it's just talking to people connecting them up that's the thing and mm. dealing and then dealing with the paperwork and but, but gotten, anyway, uh, sorry you were going to say I've gotten a fair amount of work from her like mm-hmm. that and it also cuts out all of that uh, HR compliance stuff because mm. um, you're a provisional taxpayer you are doing work for yourself so mm. um, she wouldn't if she throws me work. She's not responsible for me from a labor law perspective at all. Now, I think you work very, very hard. But I think that's maybe one of the points is um, it is time consuming and it is you need a motivation that goes beyond that salary. Mm. But anyway, I mean, back to what we were were on, which is the the idea of starting a traditional business and running it your own, doing the classical entrepreneur thing. It's just incredibly expensive and you're probably never going to get any of that back. Yeah. Um, you know, th- I mean, th- some, there's, there's other things that people have tried, and something that gets a lot of attention in the mainstream press, and everybody goes, "Oh, that's clever! I wish I'd thought of that." Oh, there's all these out of the box ideas. I mean, what was the? Well, you know what I think exemplifies it? What what really sort of shows off this concept? Oh, hang on, like that guy who had the website where he the million dollar website. Yes, where he sold each pixel for yeah, a I dollar mean, or something. I mean, if you're under, if, if if you're younger than us, you probably weren't. On the internet at the time that this happened, you were probably just uh, a kid because this was what early two thousands. Yeah, it was. What it he was. did was he he generated an image, just this blank image, and put it up on a web page, and he called it the million dollar website. The image was one thousand by one thousand pixels, and it was a million pixels. And his whole shtick was, you can buy a pixel for the cost of one dollar. Yeah. You can make this pixel whatever you want. Now, I mean, a pixel, all you can assign to it is color. So the idea was that you would buy a block of pixels. Yes. In fact, I think his minimum was was ten by ten, so it was actually a hundred dollars. Um, and it all seemed very weird and very strange. But he was obviously selling it properly behind the scenes because all of a sudden you would get a company like Coca Cola would come along Buying and say, up, uh, "We'll buy six hundred pixels by three hundred pixels, and we will put the Coca Cola logo, and we would like the ones bang in the middle of this image." Which I'm making up because I know that the Coke logo is not in the middle, but yeah, no, you know what I'm saying? But it was there, and they, it, they must have bought quite a few hundred thousand pixels now that I think about it because it took up – it was quite big. Mm. Well, it was, it was definitely a few tens of thousands. And, uh, and of course, to them, the thinking was, look, this thing has hit the news. It's this crazy, radical, audacious idea, and 
a lot of people are going to go and see it and it's going to because it's unique and it's original it's going to strike out and this is worth spending advertising money on and it wasn't just coca-cola it was a lot of major brands and once they had started it opened the floodgates and the thing filled up pretty quickly it's still opening it's, it still exists right now actually you can Google i didn't it. know that oh yeah it's still up um Hilariously, it's got a little sold out. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's been it's been what ten years. It's quite cute that he keeps hosting it. So I think mm. that's cool. Well, the thing is, he made that promise, and hosting a website like that is not expensive. It's a single page. You can probably do it for a couple of dollars a month, you know. And he made a million bucks out of this. Yeah, and I'm sure he paid his taxes and everything. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe he's living on the Cayman Islands somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. A million dollars nowadays. I think it takes a bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, a million is okay to, to live in a place like that. Yeah. But I mean, it was this fantastic, perfect idea. Um, it was absolute genius. It was clever and it worked. And I've no doubt it took a lot of hard work because in the beginning, I think without those first buyers on it, yeah, it's a dumb idea. Why would I buy your pixels on your website that no one's visiting? He needed to get those initial investments in there. Uh, so well, I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure so he approached them. I'm yeah, sure yeah. Well, yeah, he would have worked his ass off. He would have salesed the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, and everybody looked at this and thought, but that's so easy. That's nothing. There were people writing outraged columns about the work ethic of the youth today. I thought, yeah, well, it made the money. <laughs> and there were rather more people saying, i got to get in on this, which yeah. is why if you go looking for it, if you Google for it, here's one still comes up number top, number top. My yeah. English are very nice. Uh, um, number one. Yeah, uh, he's the, 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 the top-ranking results for, for that. A million-dollar web, website, yeah. Uh, a million-dollar website to look for it, and you will see – all kinds of imitators and copy and copies beneath it. There's the Million Penny website, which I'd never heard of. And the idea is that you don't pay a dollar for a pixel, you pay one cent. Ah, but, 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 but you've got to pay monthly to keep it. You see, they've taken it to the next level. And, uh, and nobody cares. Yeah. I didn't yeah, even bother clicking on done. it. And if I didn't click on it, nobody a else bunch of other on people it because yeah. everyone does what I do. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can... You can you know, go click on it and tell me if, he's, if they've actually managed to sell anything on there. Um... Yeah, yeah, thousands of imitators, and I guarantee none of them are doing very well because it worked the first time, but now it's been done. Exactly. It's that, um, well, I suppose if you look at it mathematically, it's that sliding scale. Yeah, it's a mention of returns. It worked in the first place because it was unique. It was brand new. And there are people out there who are coming up with these ideas and making them work. I, I heard an interview um, on another podcast the other day uh, with a guy whose name I don't remember, but he came to fame with his uh, his Twitter account was called I think at Where's Your Shirt something like that, um, and the idea was very simply that I mean he, he, how, he, how he basically people work? were paying him to wear his shirt. No, I think he would have used Instagram. He no, would have built up a no, no, it was Twitter. Was it Twitter? Okay, it was well, Twitter. but he would have built up a certain following. And then basically he, was, he got paid to yeah, post photos of himself wearing shirts for certain companies. It was a sponsorship. It was, he was a walking billboard. Yeah. And the idea was that if you pay him, he will wear your shirt and then basically be a walking ad. I mean, it was more than just wearing the shirts. He would fill up his social media profiles with gushing reviews of your product. And, and the whole point was that the fact that he was doing this itself was the gimmick that, that sold him, he which is was why people would listen to him. Yeah. I'm this crazy guy who brands himself with company stuff. <laughs> And again, it's a bit shameless, I think. It is. It is shameless. And listening to the guy talk about himself, I thought, there goes a man, a self-made man who is deeply, deeply in love with his own handiwork. <laughs> he is very proud of what he has done. And he, I, mean, I think he had another project where he he had decided to write a book and had been advised that as a first-time author, especially writing the sort of crap that, that floods the nonfiction section. Oh, uh, no. Is, was it one uh, of them like self-helpy things? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was advised, look, this is your first one. It's not going to do well. Don't do this to make money. Do this as a marketing angle for everything else that you're doing. Yeah. And he decided, no, 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 bugger that, bugger that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure I get paid for this. I'm not going to do it if I'm not going to make money out of it, which I admire the entrepreneurial urge. But wasn't the, that the also – So what he did was he went around to companies and said, sponsor my book. Pay me a portion. Pay me some money. And once I've made the money, then I will write the book. And he did that. And he found people who went for it, and now he suddenly owed a lot of people. Well, no, no, he owed a lot of people the product, and so he wrote this book. And I'm sure it was very good and very well written. Um, <laughs> but I mean, since it was sponsored, I've no doubt it was basically filled with what these people wanted to hear. Or you know what? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they just sponsored to be in on the act, so they could have their name on the back as a sponsor or a producer or whatever. So maybe, maybe I'm being unfair to the guy. But the thing is, he sort of t explains this idea 
which to me is a guy with a reputation for wacky things that makes money for people. Yeah. Uh, he's a trendy thing to sponsor. Yeah. Because he's already done stuff like this and you want to get in on the act. Um, so the sales couldn't have been as hard as the first time around. And then he says, and you know, this just, it just goes to show, uh, I think I am proof that if you have the ideas and if you put in the work <laughs> and just put in those hours, you know, you can be successful. And I thought, <laughs> what work? Well, what, look, he, work? he's got to produce a book or he has produced a book, which is just, hard work. It's yeah, sure. But I mean, <laughs> the work came afterwards, you know. That's true. That well, what was the thing you said that he was saying? Because you you actually heard the interview, but it was something along the lines of that he doesn't do any work at all without making sure he's gotten paid for it first. Mm. And look, that sounds pretty mercenary, but the fact is, any employed person does exactly the same thing. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, the reason I, I go to work is not because I'm deeply passionate about testing technology; it's because I get a salary at the end of the month. Exactly. If they stop paying me. My passion would mysteriously dry up. Well, this is even as a freelancer. I don't start work without having some sort of guarantee that I'm going to get paid for it at the end. Mm. Um, but maybe this is maybe this is at the crux of the thing: is what should one's attitude be when you're embarking on something like this, or when you decide that you're actually going to give it a go? Um, because I suspect that the success success cases, I suspect that the cases that work, the successful ones, mm. are the ones where um, the attitude and all of that was right. There was this right combination of attitude and motivation and willingness to fail, mm. despite the other issues, the capital and all of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, I mean, the, these these crazy once for publicity stunts ideas, I mean, they they do work, but I suspect there's a tremendous amount of luck involved. There, there has to be. I mean, there must be a, an element of fortune. I just think it's not... You, you know, you notice those people who seem to be just so much luckier than other people. I think there's got to be something else there. You know what? I think it's a bit of also maybe a bit of um, like benevolence con artist thing going on there. They're not swindling old ladies out of their retirements, but they are using those same skills to persuade people to part yeah, their money. It's, I suppose that's why salespeople have always had that slightly uh, greasy kind yeah. of thing going for them is because that... <laughs> You know, whether you're a good salesman or selling something worthwhile or not, yeah. you're still a salesman. I mean, I don't want to be too nasty to salespeople. I think we genuinely sort of are a little distrustful of them. But this but is the sad thing. I've known a few salespeople and they, you know, they're, shame. They, they, they're, they're all quite distinctive. People but this is, but this is the thing I've realized. Yeah. I've, I've had to learn to become a bit of a salesman because yeah. I'm selling myself. And I can't. nobody else is going to do it for me. Um, and that's been hard is... Yeah to realize that if you've got your own business, if you've got your own thing going, you've got to be that. You've got to become that. Well, this is one thing that all Americans seem to agree with. And by all Americans, I mean, you know, the guys who sell the seminars and the books and yeah. <laughs> the motivational speeches and so on. Um, if you're not one of those, then you're not really on my radar at the moment. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> ordinary <laughs> Americans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, sorry, I mean, there's a list I'm working through. And the, the, the other sort of option, very popular one, which is uh, also frequently held up, is the the creative route to become this pay, uh, paid independent creative. Yeah. And I think part of it is, you know, in the olden days, it's not even old days, people still do this. You could start a band, and if you were good, you would play a few gigs and get paid for them, and play a few more gigs and get a bit of reputation, and then you would sign a record deal. Yeah. And. You would get advanced a lot of money, and you would make, and you could put out your album. Yeah, and then, and, then, and then it goes gold, and then you then you spend the rest of your life sort of floating in a sea of cocaine and hookers, um, <laughs> and driving in gigantic luxury buses and so on. And of course, that never happens. <laughs> you know, uh, I did for a few, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's it's the the successful few. Um, whereas these days, you you're supposed to stick to the man. Um, and the, the the whole modern music industry is you're supposed to sit in your bedroom and you record with your friends and then you you do, you do your own recording and, and then, then you, you do your own editing on the computer yeah and then you you sort of set up a web page and you're supposed to make money by selling t-shirts I gotta admit or booking live yeah and, and like people get your music for free but somehow on kind of yeah. Merchandise or something. You're somehow supposed to make a living. And it comes back to the problem I had with freelancing earlier, which is, yeah, you've got to make a living. You've got, you, you, you've got to make your rent. You've got to, presumably at some point, if you are like, like so many people, you're going to, you're going to meet that someone special. You're going to have kids and you're going to find that life is suddenly expensive. And all of a sudden, those 25 t-shirts you're selling to the 
the, 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 the 100 or so fans you've got who follow you from gig to gig isn't enough. That's the thing. It's That's just not doing it. And so you're going to have to take on a job, which means that all of a sudden you're not, you're not a full-time musician anymore, which means you're not putting out the quality or the quantity that we've all become used to. That's probably what happens with most of these little bands. Yeah. And uh, I suppose the same could be said for all sorts of things. Mm. Anyway, I, mean, I, I mentioned the music sort of as a prelude to this because that same thinking has now crept into many areas. Yeah. Uh, you could start a blog. And there are very successful bloggers. I mean, oh, yeah, Anna I Huffington. Yes. Uh, I think she did pretty well with her with her little blog, you know. Um, Huffington Post, if you don't get the reference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's now she's she she now pays professional journalists uh, uh, to to write for her. So yeah, she's she's done well for herself. Um, you could do what we're doing right now, which is start a podcast. You can you can write your book and go independent, and you can you can invent your board game or come up with a clever product and finance it on Kickstarter. You can do a webcomic or a blog series, and you have a little Patreon account where people trickle-feed money to you. Um, and, you know, again, this is one of those things where millions of people are trying it. Millions. And But you can probably count on two hands the people whose names you know. In other words, the people who are actually doing, making a living out of this. And I think it's the problem is that you either need to be a combination of extremely good and extremely hardworking and extremely lucky. Yeah. Maybe two of those three, I don't know. Or you need to have already been uh, successful in a creative endeavor before yeah. and very famous. So when someone like um, Gareth Cliff comes, comes along. Hi, Gareth. I hope you're listening. I think you're great, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, trying to get a, a punt there. <laughs> no, um, I mean he comes along. I mean he he launched his his recent thing, uh, the, the, the Cliff Central, right? Which he 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 left his very successful career in in radio, public broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. he did a breakfast show for on on one of the biggest stations in the country for years, household name, and he left that and started his own venture, uh, which was. Oh, he made a big deal about how this was a unique thing. To it's me, an online radio station. Yeah, to me, it's it's just another radio station. Only instead of broadcasting uh, over the airwaves that you pick up on your radio, he's streaming live on the internet. Yeah. And I can see how, from his point of view, this is tremendously different because it frees him from a lot of regulations. Um, it makes uh, it's, it changes it changes the business model entirely because it's obviously uh, yeah. But the product is still pretty much the same to me. Yeah. Um, and it has been, and it is by all accounts very successful. It's doing well. He's got very high listenership and congratulations. But I suspect that if I was to do that, nobody has heard out of. of the blue. Oh yeah, no, I would it launch would, my thing, and my listenership would be about twenty. So, and it's he has the advantage of being able to leverage an existing massive audience. Yeah. And then you'll see someone, and then um, an author like Stephen King will come along. Yeah. Or, or a band like Radiohead, and they decide what we're going to do is we're going to actually did Stephen King do it? I don't think it was Stephen King. He's well. Stephen King is actually he, he was an early adopter with all sorts of things. He was one of the few main authors to agree to have his books sold as e-books. Mm. Um, he he was big on having a lot of his books turned to movies at a time when other authors weren't mm. doing it. Well, what I'm talking about is the new sort of distribution models, the new way of doing things. And I'm ashamed to admit that even though I'm not actually talking about music, I can only think of <laughs> musical examples. Yeah. Uh, Radiohead did it. Nine Inch Nails did it. Where they would they recorded an album, they spent a lot of money doing so, as it always does cost, to get it properly um, professionally Produced, yeah. recorded and mastered and edited and so on. And then they made it available for free. They yeah. just dropped it on the internet and said, okay, guys, you've shown us with Napster and with uh, torrenting and with um, YouTubing our videos illegally that <laughs> you don't actually want to pay for this. So obviously our albums are too expensive. Here it is. You can download it from my website and you can pay us Whatever you feel like paying us. Yeah, and then they had... 20 cents? Okay, that's the price for you, 20 cents. And it's not that nobody paid. <laughs> it's that despite that, they still had better distribution through BitTorrent. <laughs> you know, people, were, people were going there and paying their 20 cents because you had to pay something, even if it was just the... Yeah. I think it was Nine Inch Nails, the, the, the minimum price was basically what the credit card company charges yeah, uh, was, per transaction. So like it was like 39 cents or yeah. whatever the number was. People would pay that minimum amount and then they would put it available for free and people were still pirating it. Uh, typical, typical. The thing is, which is why it's such a horrible example because I know a lot of authors have have put this stuff out and done very well doing this. The point is... Specifically book authors. No, movie authors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, specifically... Yeah, e yeah, no, novelists. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm just being cruel. Um, 
Um, what they so they, they they've written their books and they've made them available for free. And the idea is that the book is for free, but this, but then there'll be a sponsorship or there'll be advertising on the website or they're selling merchandise related to the book. And they make a lot less money than they were making selling the book in the in, in commercially property, in the traditional yeah, format. House. Um, or they're or alternatively they are simply selling it independently without the help of a publisher, a publishing company. Um, because they are paying an editor themselves and they're doing it, and this is the whole dream of the of selling ebooks, for example. Yeah. And the reason they're successful is again they've got that audience just waiting for them. That is the biggie. The thing is, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start from scratch. Everybody starts as a nobody. Well, this was the benefit of the old model. All you, you only you only had to convince one person. Yeah. Which was somebody the at a, standing at, in at front a, of you. Yeah, or somebody at the publisher. You send them your manuscript, and if that one person likes it, they sign a contract with you. They send you an advance of the, a third of the projected <coughs> amount that your book would make, or something. Um, although interesting, and, and in fact, the music industry worked the same way. When you signed your record deal, they gave you that advance. Well, that's the thing. And they were probably going to lose money on you. Yeah, um, but they did that as a kind. But then you got yeah, but then you had the might of, of of the publishing company to a they had their their staff of publishers and editors. And, and the thing is, they also had the financial. They also had the financial backing to hedge their bets, where mm. they were able to bank on or at least um, put money into say twenty or thirty artists, mm. even if only one or two ended up being successful. Well, that's the thing. Pretend it's 1980. You've 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 got your little band in the garage. You, exactly. You saw the Sex Pistols on TV, so <laughs> you, you tore your jeans up a bit and didn't bother learning to play your instrument. And yeah. and because it was a sound everyone was making, you got your record deal and you 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 broke up after your second album. You <laughs> sold like 20,000 copies worldwide, uh, and that was with heavy marketing. And your kids discover your album in the attic years later. Yeah, and the record company says, "Oh well, you don't exist anymore. We're not going to sue you for for reneging on the contracts. We're just going to sit there and roll on the money that Madonna made for us." Yeah, and Madonna paid for your band, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, was it um, Richard Branson who was saying that at one stage Virgin Records was basically being completely funded and financed by Tubular Bells? Oh, Mike Oldfield. And Mike mm. Oldfield was basically carrying the entire company, yeah. um, the whole label. And uh, apparently, <laughs> when he admitted this to Mike Oldfield, Mike Oldfield was like a bit miff about it, and he sort of said, "Well, then you're going to have to give me more money." And fair enough. And fair enough. <laughs> I think Mike Oldfield is still with Virgin, if I'm not mistaken. No, he, he left. Uh, he, he put out that horrible Amagama album. Uh, well, uh, which is we his can last see now contractual why. obligation. And if, I don't know if you've heard that thing. It could be. Perhaps that's why he did that. Perhaps he put it out, that horrible old album, because it was his last obligation. And I've seen it argued. And, I mean, having listened to it, or bits and pieces of it, I don't want to argue the, the musical merits of the thing, because obviously it's operating on an artistic plane far above my head. But the as the story goes, right? Yeah. What they don't what, what they don't want you to know, okay? Uh, <laughs> wake up, sheeple! Is that, he, <laughs> is that he deliberately made it to be unsellable, something with zero mass market appeal, and specifically because it was one of the last as a sort um, of a up yours to yeah to the the label that that, that made him. Um, <laughs> well, th- I think. Th- um, <laughs> No, not that I think old Beardy Branson needs our sympathy. He can cry himself to sleep on, his, on, his, on his mattress stuffed with thousand dollars. Bed of pillows, yeah. yeah. Ugh, bed of pillows, bed of money. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, anyway, the point is that that just seems like any, the dodgiest of them all. Uh, you be creative online, not because you're trying to make a living. You're doing it because you want to be creative. Yeah. Because you enjoy doing it, which is what we're doing here. Exactly. It's why nobody goes and paints a painting in the hopes of selling it at Christie's for mm. fifty million. Pounds. I think a lot of people start painting for that reason, and I think that's why they're <laughs> They'll be old. bitterly disappointed. Yeah, because <laughs> because there's no oh. there is no way to gauge how how it would you know mm. you could you could paint that thing with your ass, mm. and it could end up being tremendously popular. Look, I think we're going to have to stop here. Yeah. I uh, see you are looking tired. We've been recording for a full hour. You know what? I think uh, definitely in a future podcast, we're going to pick up on this and try and drill down a bit deeper because there's because so far all we've done is talk about ways that you're not going to make it <laughs> without a job. And uh, yeah, I was hoping to be a little bit more positive than that. You know, we're going to figure this out. Definitely. I'm gonna I'd love to talk about it again. Because, you know, we're actually trying all of these things at the same time, right? I mean, you're freelancing. I'm actually doing a small amount of freelance work with my little company on the side that um, totally does not exist, boss. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've got my website. 
on my websites. There's Nalukia, which is uh, the home of the podcast that you're listening to now. Um, in fact, you might even be listening to it on the website. And if so, use all the little social share buttons at the bottom. There's my astronomy website, which I started in 2009, which is actually what kicked me off on this whole... Urban Astronomer thing. is brilliant. You've got to go see it. There's oh, over 900 you. pages on Urban Astronomer. Actually, I called it a bit. So oh, okay. Yeah, there were <laughs> stuff that was not... many, lots, well. hundreds of pages. I'm not sure exactly it's how about many about 700, hundred. actually. 700 pages of astronomical articles. After I trimmed the crap. So, yeah, I think it's... So, yeah, definitely worth looking at. Mm. Funnily enough, it's my most successful project. Well, not funnily enough. You've been working on it for like six years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other things that we do? I mean, there's just so many. Um, okay, well, I have a blog, but I, I, I don't mean, actually have a, a URL to There's our positions on committees, and there's our... Uh, we're, just, we're just involved in everything. There's, there's my astrophotography. Yes. Uh, that takes a chunk of time. Sorry, family. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, it's just uh, now, now we're starting to ramble. But if I mean, if, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed our, our pointless meanderings and our total failures to reach any kind of conclusion, <laughs> uh, then by all means, please um, send a link to this at, uh, to this recording to your friends. Uh, if it's on your podcast software, leave us a, a review because um, those reviews really are that's currency for us. It is. They're valuable. That is how we get become visible on the in the directories. So people looking for something to listen to, they, are, they, they might have a chance of discovering us, and that's good for us. Um, otherwise, just pop a mention on your social media. It's now look here. It's a unique name. Nobody else has called that. So .net. Yeah. yeah, the URL is nowlookhere.net. Um, or, just, or just search for us in, in iTunes or whatever. And, uh, yeah, thank you for sitting through this recording and listening to us. We, uh, <laughs> we're going to do better next time, I promise. Thank you for listening.